Thank you very much, Pastor, and good evening to everyone. It's certainly good to be back here uh, with all of you at the conference and to have this privilege um, given to me to be able to share with you again from the Word of the Lord. Uh, It's, I'll just thank the Lord for uh, this opportunity given to me uh, to be here with you and then to be able to uh, share the Word of the Lord with you. Well, I brought my wife with me this time, and last time, Brother Alan, he said, where's your wife? He said, I said, well, you didn't invite her, you invited me. <laughs> he figured that if he invited me, he invited her. Well, um, down, in the, down in the West Indies, we don't think that way. <laughs> and so, uh, he made sure when he called me this time, he said, and your wife is invited. So, <laughs> uh, come here a minute, wife. <laughs> uh, we've been married a long, long time, and I said uh, this morning, uh, she was my best friend at church. When, I, when we first got saved, we were, she was a teenager, and I wasn't. I was a little, a little older than her, as you can see. Um, in those days, I looked quite young, black hair, I mean, slick down, and everything else, and so on. That's what caught her, anyhow. <laughs> But we got saved about the same time in church, and um, we became close friends. Um, we spent a lot of time together, what we call platonic, uh, nothing romantic. Uh, she, I said she had her eyes on somebody else, I had my eyes on somebody else, and we became very close friends. And afterwards, uh, both of us got jilted, <laughs> and, God, and, and so we went to each other to cry on each other's shoulders, and we fell in love. (laughs) And we're still in love, right? Prove it to me. (laughs) All right. And I thank the Lord for her over the years. We have three sons, and uh, the ministry, we've gone through a lot. We've traveled through the islands. Um, Things I did to her... um, I said, I did decisions I made and uh, places we slept. Um, for four years, I mean, there was a time she was pregnant. I had resigned from the church home. The Lord was just leading me. I, I think I had this nomadic spirit about me, adventure. And uh, after four years, oh, no, nearly seven years being pastor, um, uh, the Lord stirred up my nest and for some reasons and so on. And we decided we want, we, well, I decided, uh, the Lord had led me, and we wanted to go through the islands and preach. And there was a little island called Seba. They had a thousand people living on it. It's a volcanic island. And, um, and so, Lord, I had gone there, making a tour through the West Indies to see what ministries they had uh, early in my life. And uh, somehow that island got hold of me. There was just one evangelical church there. And uh, so... Um, resigned from the church. And three weeks after I resigned from the church, we started to get rid of our things. She got sick. We went and took her to the doctor. The doctor said, called me and said, your wife is pregnant. We didn't have any money. We, we didn't have any source of income. We resigned the church. Uh, we didn't know anything. I'd made, I told my friends, colleagues in the West Indies, I'm coming through, and I'm going to be preaching for them someplace, sometimes a week, two weeks. And she was pregnant traveling seven months with me, up and down the islands, uh, sleeping in 
uh, most of our, my friends in those days were very poor. Uh, that is uh, preacher friends and um, places we slept and everything else like that. And God took care of us, and we're still here together. Um, took her to Africa for the first time last year. This year, he's saying last year all the time. It seems so long ago. And as they said this morning, they always wanted to see their grandmother. They called me grandfather over there, uh, Sikuru. And they always wanted, why don't you bring your grand, why, your, our grandmother? So I took her, and they saw how young she was. They thought, really, that was their daughter afterwards. <laughs> And um, so I'm so glad that she's here uh, to keep me a little quiet. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> and that's no show off, all right? Not showing off. I try to tease these fellows to make them feel you should bring your wives too. <laughs> all right. Okay. Brother Errol Laurent, would you stand? Yeah. Uh, he is from the island of Dominica. If you're aware of the Caribbean, there are very many islands, starting from uh, Florida, uh, west, east of Florida, is that? Yeah. Um, east of Florida, the archipelago, coming right down to about seven miles away from South America, Venezuela, there's Trinidad, and islands scattered right through the West Indies and so on. He's from one of the larger islands, Dominica, and um, he went to Blue Water Bible College, the same school I went to, where Brother Ken taught some years ago. I'm not sure... Brother Lawrence, you had left already by the right time. Brother Ken was there, right? Yeah. And we had left already. And so he, now he, he's done a lot of work in the different islands, uh, ministering uh, in different places. Uh, we were just in Grand Cayman, Grand Turk, together, a very small island where the Lord used him and his family there, started a school, built a church there, and then the Lord led him away from there. He's presently in Chester, uh, Phil- Philadelphia, all right? I always get mixed up. Which one is it? Philadelphia or Pennsylvania is a state? And so on. Pennsylvania is a state. That's sometimes we get mixed up with, in Dungley Islands, we get mixed up with Atlanta and Georgia. And many people think Atlanta is a state. Yeah. All right. It may be in a state, but not. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so that's Brother Errol Laurent. And uh, when I talked to him in June, when we met, I told him about the conference and started to talk to him about things of the kingdom. And his eyes opened up and he said, oh boy. And then he said, he wished he could be at this conference. Praise God, he's here. And so, that. all right. Then I have, uh, there's Brother Willis Hackshaw. Uh, he is from the island of St. Vincent, which is a smaller island just off of Barbados, about 95 miles uh, from Barbados, the south of Barbados. And he is um, a graduate of the Bible College, Baptist Bible College, of the Caribbean in, uh, in St. Vincent. I'm part of that ministry there. And then he did his master's divinity in Northland in Wisconsin. And he presently is teaching. Um, he is all types of teachers there, the Greek teacher, and the, uh, what do I call it now, theological teacher. He, 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 he teaches the books of the Bible. And he, he got into the kingdom and got talking to him uh, and so on. And his eyes started to open very quickly to this and say, wow, and so on. But he's alone down there in that island. And as far as, when I say alone, I'm talking about kingdom, kingdom teaching. And he has a difficult time. Uh, some people call him heresy, heretic and a whole, whole host of things. One of the pastors or two of them 
um, actually said, we're not going to send our students there because of what he believed. And then they say, well, he got that from Carl Natron. Uh, he said, <laughs> anyhow, I'll tell him I got it from you. <laughs> anyhow, and uh, Brother Willis had been teaching at the school quite a long while. And it's good to have him with us uh, here. All right? Uh, then we have our three brothers from Africa. And um, when, I, when I introduce them, I'm sorry, I didn't do that to the two of you, understandable. But I'm going to ask them to come up here because they can do something for you. And um, they'll, they'll, so Brother Friday, would you come? Friday and Joe. Friday and Joe. He is from Zimbabwe. And um, I'm, I know this might stun some of you, but I'm going to tell you what it is like, right? Our churches in Africa, uh, Grace Bible Churches started from our church in Barbados. And the governments over there require that they, that they get our documents and everything. We had to send our constitution, our legal papers and everything for them to be able to buy land and to start a church. You just can't start a church like that. And so they had no choice but to name their church, Grace Bible Church, because of the papers we sent them. And, and, and so he, his father was the person that God put me in contact with. Um, I think I told you a little of that story last year. And um, now his father's died, gone on to be with the Lord. Brother Friday studied at the, Lord opened the door, and he was able to go to Puerto Rico. There's a Bible college in Puerto Rico, uh, Calvary Baptist Tabernacle College. And uh, he did his master's there. And then the Lord took him back home just, I think, a year after his father died. And he's a leader of our churches. Now, actually, he's, listen for it, now he's a bishop. <laughs> Is that scriptural? Anyhow, he's the bishop of our churches. He's the overseer of our churches. And really, as of really first time, that's the really first time I understood the principle of that and why you need somebody in, in that capacity. Because our churches are spread far and wide. I mean, far away from each other. And the needs we need somebody to be able to go there and make sure things are okay, doctrines are not moving away, and a whole host of other things. But he pastored our uh, main church in Kadoma um, is very is a bigger building than this. God uh, gave us, uh, well, God just did some things, and we were able to buy some land over there, and we have a very big building there. And um, there were times when the church was actually about over 400 members, but a lot of things happened. You know, there was cholera there, and a lot of people then migrated to South Africa and different places. I'm not sure what the congregation is there now in Nigeria. And so this Friday in Joe, and so I'm going to ask him uh, some questions, all right? Now, what's your name? Kevin and my name is Friday and Joe. I don't understand what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to fool you. I knew what he was talking about. <laughs> or say something to people. I am glad to be here, and I enjoy being in fellowship with you. That's true? <laughs> it's not that interpreted, it's just common sense that tell me that's what you was saying. <laughs> uh, say, what, what's good, good evening? Maneri. All right. And when you leave in tonight, what would you say? So they'd have different words for the same thing. 
and sometimes the same thing. All right. Then um, you can talk to him. He has, um, well, he can, I can say that for him because in Zimbabwe, there are, and in some place in Africa, a man can have more than one wife. And that's a problem that we face in the churches there. A person gets saved, and he got saved, and he has two wives. What do, and he can, what do I do? He has children from both wives. What do you do? Well, I just have some hard decisions to make uh, sometimes. And how you can talk to him and you'll find out if that happens here, what, he'll tell you what to do. All right? <laughs> but he has a lot of work to do. We have several churches he has to deal with and travel very far um, to, to see about these churches. He has a wife and one wife and two children. And they have names not like Friday or Saturday. It's Ruth and Kyle. All right. So uh, Brother Maxwell, we'll go. This is Maxwell MPT Yanga. Uh, it gave me a little trouble at first to, to call MPT Yanga. Do you pronounce the M or you just say Pity Yanga? Huh? No, from the M. Or just P, so you don't say M. Just like his name is Job, but he has N, J O V. He is Pity Yanga with the M in front, so you don't. All right. And uh, he has a wife and 10 children. <laughs> actually, when I first met them, how many children do you have now? Six. And his wife actually told me two years ago she would like to have ten. All right. I met a couple in Mozambique. They had 13 children. And the wife got saved. She got saved and she started to read the Bible. And when she got to, not too far in the Bible, she got to Genesis, she read how the Lord told Adam and Eve to multiply and replenish the earth. And she felt that was her command too. She told me so. And so that they had 13. They rode two days to come to the conference, Jacob, with a baby on her back, riding a bicycle over a very rough road. And she was ready to go back home to have 13 more children. <laughs> but that, she felt the command was for her. Anyhow, I'll pray for Maxwell. His wife's name is Joyce. Tell us something about your work there. You, you give your page. You, you How many? It's uh, from Sunday, Brian Brown. 
All right. Um, Maxwell had a van that he used to use. We had bought a van for him to help him to support him, his wife and himself. But he had to get rid of the van. Somebody stole it the other day, and he had to sell the van. His wife now, she makes porridge on the morning. Uh, take oats, some type of oats, and boils it, put it in bottles, and take it and, and, and sells it to people for, like for break, at bre breakfast time. But she doesn't make a lot of money because he drinks the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Domingo. But pray, I mean, the, the needs there um, are great, but the Lord supplied the needs. Um, then Domingo's Mario Zeca Fernando is his name. Domingo, in Portuguese, their the language, the main language is Portuguese, and so he knows some Spanish as well. Uh, he teaches physics um, at second at high school, I think is what we would, you would say here. Um, I think it's high school. Um, sometimes I get mixed up with your grades and so on. Uh, he got married a couple of years ago, and he, his wife just got sick just a couple of weeks before he was supposed to come. We had a little scare, but anyhow, uh, she's doing okay now, right? Now, she can't be doing you okay, and you're here, right? No, he didn't understand that, poor fellow. Um, tell them something about yourself. He speaks English. He interprets for me when I'm preaching down there. Uh, and he looks quiet, but he isn't quiet. I can tell you that. <laughs> He's just a little, uh, yeah, tonight. Uh, if I let him loose on you, you'd want to know if that's the same person. Yeah, say something about yourself, about the ministry. Mm -hmm. Say it and you'll go ahead, talk in English. You understand that, right? Okay, good. About 80, it's about how many, how many kilometers between Manika and Chimoy? Sixty-eight kilometers, all right. And you have to catch a bus or right, catch a ride or something to do it like that, yeah. Chimoy is where our main church is. What, um, yeah, go ahead. You know? 
or they have in church, the service is under some mango trees. And we were, Ken was there with us. Um, and that's where the church meets, under the trees. And, but we have land and they're starting to build, yeah. All right. And he's in charge. How old are you? 29. And he's in charge of 22 churches over there. All right. Okay. He just, his father was a leader, but uh, his father's re- retired, resigned, and he's taken over. And so he's our chief um, thing, uh, the leader of our churches here. But at the same time, pastoring these two churches. Um, he started the one in Manica. He's teaching at the at the at the the high school there, led the, pe- the, ch- the people in his class to the Lord. And out of that, a whole big group. How many, how many young people, how many people you have now in your church here? 53. And most of them are young people uh, and, and from the school. And um, they meet, uh, they were meeting in his house. He was able to rent. Now they have a garage side of the house. He turned it into the church. And they're looking for a piece of land so that they can have their own church building there and so on. All right? Okay. Now we're going to ask them. They're going to sing for you. Um, I'm not sure what they can do. What, they're singing three different languages. They can, uh, but I'm not sure what they will do. What's the name of the song? Okay, explain. The, tell them the words, what it means. If we put Jesus as our shield, all right, yeah. Still a little, just a little shy. That's not all to it, all right? <laughs> next time we'll get Ken to come and join them. I see some of you are joining in. I was tempted to say, teach them the song. You need to teach them. Uh, oh, okay, all right. 
in um, the life expectancy rate is very low um, in those countries. Uh, and everyone seems a little lower. In, in Zimbabwe, for women, uh, uh, well, we can say in the 40s, but, but we'll put an average. And say in the mid-40s is when you expect to die. And Friday is 44. <laughs> He's not so old yet, but that's the life expectancy right there. And there's a road we travel on um, where they have little industrial areas. And uh, over, like, I would say not even half a mile, they have about four, about four or five, I'm not sure, where you see the signs, coffins made here. Um, near, near to his home in Kadoma. Um, that they, and so, praise God, not a lot of people from our churches die, right? Doesn't seem so to me. His mom was just 51, and she died, what, a month ago? About a month ago. And 51, you know, that's what we call, we're still young here, more or less. Um, so, then, um, in, then we found out in Malawi, how was the life expectancy rate? 60. So they're a little better over there. But Mozambique, you want to hear it? Mozambique is what? Life expectancy rate. How it went to die? 38, you told us? When you reach 38. Mm -hmm. 38. Uh, that's really low. All right? Um, that's a reason why, by the way, we need people to take the gospel out because people die young. And I'll tell you about these men. I mean, I can do it, and I can tell them we need a church in this area, and they will try to go. Um, in the churches, like, uh, let's take the church in Kadoma. I'll, I'll just use Kadoma. I, one day I preached, and we're talking about a village where there was no gospel in Zimbabwe. The Zoom, Zuma people, what's their name? The Zumba? Uh, bingo, bingo people, where there's no gospel. And I said, I preach, and I said, you know, you all need to get the gospel there. You all need to get, we need to get the gospel to those people. We need to let them hear about the Lord Jesus. And at the end, and then I give an invitation, and every one of the young men stood up, 20-something of them. We want to go. But it takes money to go, let them go. It's not a lot for them to live on, but they'd have to leave their home and go find somewhere to live and everything else like that. And, um, and that's the reason why the church is spread because when they, got, when they come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior and they found, find the truth of freedom that's expressed in their songs and so on, uh, there was somebody, in, some friend, some family that's in another village. They want to go there and preach the gospel to them. And uh, he, he talked about, he was talking about prayer houses. The 20 churches that they have, that does not include what we call cell group because nearly each church, uh, the pastor then goes in surrounding villages and have Bible studies or preach. And people get saved there, and then he ha he's in charge of these groups to go and preach to them, and, and then eventually may start a church uh, as it goes out, out, of the, out of these churches. Okay. So we'll tell you a little more about the ministries. Is that enough for the time being? Okay, all right. Now, I'll give you a little statistics about me. Ah, I'm five foot seven. 
I'm wearing the most I've ever wear in my life. Oh, well, I wear this some time ago, and then I uh, fell off. And somebody only got sick. When I'm wrong, 135 pounds. I got married when I was 105 pounds. <laughs> uh, and then I got sick. I, I got to 115 pounds. And then I'm going back up to the 130s. I haven't got past 140 yet, praise God. <laughs> uh, but I'm thankful to the Lord putting me in the ministry. I look back on my life sometimes at the things that I think I could have been. And, and I say, you know, I wonder if I had done this. I, I, I liked sports, Brother Chris. I wanted to become, well, we say cricket. I, I played just about all sports that we had in Barbados. And I just wanted to be a sportsman. And, every, and in the midst of my accomplishing, maybe getting somewhere in what we call cricket. I don't know how much you know about cricket. Um, I got saved. And God changed my whole perspective. But every now and then, um, I sit down and I think, I wonder if I had become this, what would happen? And I'm thinking of, I'm looking at the glories of the world that those people are getting now. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe what could have been, what might have been. And then, praise God, I come today and thank God for saving me and putting me in the ministry. Because when I compare the experiences, the opportunities, the privileges, the friends that God has given me, none of those people have. And I, I, and I have the wonderful privilege and blessing God has given to me that there's so many places in this world I can take up my phone or go on the internet and call and say, Brother, I'd like to come and be with and, you know, I, I want somewhere to stay. And I know that I'm not imposing on that person. I call a friend of mine one day. We, we make sport with each other, with our colleagues. And sometimes we would call on the phone and say, Hi, how are you doing? And he would ask, Where are you? And I would say, Hey, at the airport, will you come and pick me up? <laughs> well, I don't know how some of them react. I said, Oh, oh, he could have he called me before he came to the airport. But anyhow, uh, hold on. So one day I called this guy, in, uh, Brother Newman Johnson in Dominica. And I said, He said, Hey, Brother Carl, how are you? Where are you now? I said, I'm at the airport. Uh, he says, hold on, I'm coming for you. Put on the phone. <laughs> I had a call back very quickly. And this said, brother, I'm only joking you. He said, oh, boy, you know, it's a good thing I was barefoot. Because <laughs> I, I was just coming to put on my shoes. And he just, I'm ready to go and pick me up at the airport. I praise God that I have friends like that. God has given me a family. You know, when he says about when you leave certain things for him, he says, I'll give you a hundredfold. If you leave mother and father and so on, I'll give you a hundredfold. And God has given me many, many fathers and mothers all over this world and brothers and so on. And so I just thank God for putting me in ministry and to be able to um, have the opportunities. I don't know why. I, I, I'm not saying this. I just, ah, ah. But God has allowed me to be able to preach his word. Um, I, it bamboozles me. The kingdom of God, what a topic, what a joy to be able to understand that, what the kingdom of God, and I praise God for opening up the desires of my heart, or giving me the desires of my heart, I know there was one desire I had, 
is that I would know God's Word. I still have that desire. That's one of the things we pray for, and I ask the church, let's pray that God would open up our hearts to understand His Word. Uh, there's so much more in His Word that we don't know that we need to know. And that we need to grow in the grace and also in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And you can only grow in the grace in the knowledge of Jesus if you know his word. That's where you get. And so there's so much more to know about the Lord Jesus. And so we have not, we just creep in the surface, as it were, when we understand things. And the surface we get, they seem so wonderful to us. Uh, the little gems that we dig up, and we polish off so often because we haven't got the other gem. So we keep on polishing the same gem all the time, hoping, you know, that we get something else out of that gem. And what it does, and God does for it, is make the gem shine a little brighter uh, for us and, and keep us going until we unearth another gem in the Scriptures. And when we unearth that gem, what we want? We want to tell everybody. But unfortunately, there are some people when we tell, they look at us and think, we, didn't have a, we, didn't get, we don't have a gem we found some old piece of dirt somewhere around. And they don't understand. And when you try to share the truth with them, uh, the problems we get from that, you know what I'm talking about, and so on. Uh, particularly as it comes to the kingdom. I, I just don't know why. Because I'm going to share some things with you uh, tonight about the kingdom. Um, to make a contrast, my message tonight has to do with are you a kingdom believer or a kingdom seeker? And what's the difference between the two? I find that there's a great difference between the two. And I'll try to explain that to you um, tonight as we go into God's Word. Let us pray. Our Father, I ask you in the name of our Lord Jesus to give understanding of your Word, to convict us of the Holy Spirit, and by Him that we might be able to Understand these truths and apply them to our lives. That God, it would not just be a knowledge we gain, but that knowledge would do something to our lives. And to make us people who are worthy of the kingdom. May you bless us and help us during these nights. I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Kingdom believers or kingdom seekers. Are the two the same? I would say yes and no in some ways. There are kingdom believers who I was like that before. Uh, when I got saved, um, early in my, early in my, in my um, life as a, as a believer, I was taught about the kingdom. I was taught that there was a millennium kingdom and that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and reign. I didn't have any doubts whatsoever about that. Most of my friends believed that. Actually, if you didn't believe in a, a millennium kingdom, you were called a heretic. We didn't have you to preach for, for us. And so most of my friends, who today will not have me to preach because of a different view of the kingdom now, all of them believe in the kingdom. And I believe very strongly that there's going to be a kingdom. This actually is very difficult to understand how some people can read the scriptures even casually and still come up that there's no little kingdom to come on this earth where the Lord Jesus Christ will reign. It's difficult to, to understand that men who call themselves scholars call themselves amillennialists. It's difficult. 
I don't understand it, except maybe, maybe that they're just blinded. I don't know how that can happen. Because the kingdom is so clear in scriptures, the principles of it, and then the promises given to it, and the teachings of this wonderful thing that's going to happen one day that God has put in his word. It's just there, and people just don't see it whatsoever. But they are kingdom believers, all right? People, that is, people who believe that there's going to be a kingdom, that Christ is going to reign in that kingdom. But who don't believe that you have to seek for the kingdom? They just feel that they can enter the kingdom. So they believe that there's a kingdom. They don't believe that you have to seek in order to enter that kingdom and to reign with Christ. They believe, like I believed before, that I was taught, and I thought that was the truth, that all of us will reign with Christ. I was taught that. I preached that for many years. That as long as you get saved, you're going to go to the kingdom and you're going to reign with Christ. And so we lived on that. There was no great motivation to do anything. It didn't do anything to our Christian life whatsoever. There are those who said they believe in the kingdom but also confused the kingdom that they talked about where Christ will reign with some verses that made it sound as if they took the kingdom and that made that eternal heaven. And they got confused with it. There are those who believe uh, one must seek the kingdom in order to reign with Christ. Now, which of these are you? A kingdom believer or do you really are a kingdom seeker? Now, maybe you do believe that you must seek the kingdom. But are you really seeking the kingdom? Or are you relying on your knowledge that you have heard? That you know in order uh, to reign with Christ. I believe that there is a kingdom. And if you think that is okay. Then you fall in the group of those that I was before. Because having the knowledge that you received. Concerning the millennium reign of Christ. And being inheritors of it and so on. That does not automatically make you prepared to be an inheritor in the kingdom. You've got to do something about that. And the Bible is clear about that. Actually, there are more verses in the Bible that speaks about believers working than people putting faith in Christ for salvation. You check that out. I was given an illustration about a niece I have. She was teaching Sunday school. And um, the children, she was wondering, you know, about salvation, whether they were saved or not. And she's decided to um, go through the, the New Testament to find out, is salvation really by faith? Because the way these people were living, is, is it faith? Because there's no change in their lives. And so she started, and she started to read through from Matthew, and she found all these verses about works. And so she writes me, or she calls me and says, Uncle Charles, I mean, tell me about these verses. All the verses it seems I could find about salvation, most of them has to do with working for your salvation. Praise God I'd known about the kingdom. And I was able to show her what these verses, what they're related to. And so before we contradicted ourselves so much, 
because we answered people when they talked about work salvation. And, you know, we said, well, you know, if you really save, you will work. And if you don't work, you will really not save. Because we couldn't get around what the Bible teaches about working. You know the one about working out your own salvation? Oh, all the different types of answers we gave for that and so on. So we're not really unique in our belief of the kingdom because many people in Christianity believe that there's going to be a kingdom. I was one of them, some of you, a lot of you, maybe were like that. But then understanding what is a kingdom believer and understanding the truth of the kingdom then started to open our eyes to other scriptures. And you know the joy, and to me that's one of the greatest joys, to see how the scriptures that were hard for me to understand, when I started to connect that with the kingdom, how they just opened up. And the scripture wasn't hard anymore. And I didn't have to use that verse that so many people use. The secret things belong unto the Lord, but that which is revealed belongs to us and our children. And we just left them there. Now, what is a kingdom believer? Friends, many of the Jews, if not all of the Jews, were kingdom believers. But they were not kingdom seekers. The Lord Jesus, or John the Baptist, never had to prove to the Jews that, there was, that there's a kingdom to come. The first thing they proclaimed when they came on the scene, the first message that John came was, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not one of the Jews said, hey, John, what do you mean by the kingdom of heaven? The Lord Jesus, a little while afterwards, came on the scene. The same thing. First thing he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Jews believed in the kingdom. They were looking for the kingdom. That's all, basically, the Old Testament promised them. And so they knew these things about the kingdom. The thing about this is that there was 400 years of silence. John the Baptist was the first prophet after Malachi. And so think about the generation of 400 P children. They had no prophet to tell them about the kingdom. And then suddenly comes out of the scene this man from the wilderness. And he comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And those generation, I, well, they say generation is about 40 years, so put 400 in there and you'll work out something. 100 years, uh, that'll be 100 generations at 40 years, or not so many? 10, 10 generations. And each, these generations, they knew, they were taught by the Jews between that time about the kingdom. And so when John the Baptist came as a prophet, they knew, those children automatically knew what kingdom they were talking about. And they never questioned anybody. They didn't question John or the Lord Jesus about this kingdom. So they were kingdom believers. They, like us before, thought that because you were a Jew, you would just enter into this kingdom. I believed that one time. I was taught that. That as long as you are saved, then you will enter in that kingdom. And so when the Lord Jesus started to tell them, repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand, 
you had problems with that. I'm here to repent. I'm a child of God already, is what we would say today. I mean, once I'm saved, I'm going into the kingdom. And then he starts to tell them certain things. You can imagine the shock Nicodemus got. When he comes to the Lord Jesus, he's a Pharisee. He knows the scripture. He believes in the kingdom. And the Lord Jesus tells him what? Nicodemus, except a man be born again, you cannot see. You can't even comprehend what the kingdom is. You believe in the kingdom, but you really don't understand this kingdom. And then he, made, he makes another step. He goes further now. The first one is, except he be born again, he cannot see. You can't understand the kingdom precepts. Then he goes a step further. Except a man be born of the spirit and of water, you cannot enter the kingdom. You see, seeing the kingdom, understanding the kingdom, and entering the kingdom in the Lord Jesus, uh, they're two different things altogether. And he tells Nicodemus that. Nicodemus was a kingdom believer. But he thought he automatically, as a Jew, will enter and reign with Christ. And so so were many of us. And that is the main issue today with many people when we tell them that. They, They fall at that. I don't know why, because one of the greatest motivations for living a righteous life is to want to reign with Christ. This is my conclusion about certain things. I wouldn't say it is correct every time, but nearly any doctrine that motivates me to love God more, to live a holy life, even if I'm wrong, I still write. You understand what I'm saying? If it makes me live a holy life, I still end up right. And anything that will make me live a holy life, hardly wrong. Because the devil not going to give me something and, and fool me with a doctrine that will make me love God more. You're not going to go that road. See? So are you a kingdom believer? Or are you a kingdom seeker? We'll explain what a kingdom seeker is in a moment. Because... You will have to put yourself, and I would have to put myself to realize, hey, am I ready for the kingdom? Am I going to enter that kingdom and reign with Christ? What am I doing? Oh, help me here. <laughs> My notes. I'm using these high-tech things here, and um, I got it set, and it's closing off on me here. You see, the whole system of the Jews, Understood the literal reality that Messiah would come and conquer the enemies. That's what they thought. And that he would come and conquer the enemies. They didn't have to do anything. And that they would just shh in the kingdom. And all the joys of the kingdom would be theirs and dominate the earth. They believed that they individually would automatically enter that kingdom and reign. Now there's a difference between types of kingdom believers. There are those who believe the kingdom is free trip and, um, and not the literal one. There are people who believe that the kingdom is right now. Some of them believe that the kingdom believe in what we call a Victorian age in 1700, 17, the 17th century. And they believe that the kingdom came on earth then. That's what they call when the gospel of modern mission started. Because God's kingdom on earth. 
and tell us that the devil is chained right now. Hmm. Boy, if he's chained and he does so much damage, what men he's going to be loosed in Revelation? <laughs> ah, the devil isn't chained. You and I know that very well. A little, somebody wrote a little note on Facebook yesterday, a friend of mine, a preacher, and he said, to the, he said in it, um, if you have your Bible, the devil runs from you. Imagine if you have your Bible, the devil goes from you. And then when you go and you read your Bible, then wow, how far the devil goes. And then when you start to meditate on it, it goes further than you and everything else. And I, I commented on it. And I said, brother, uh, you know, these sentimental, trivial things, that's not true at all. It sounds good. Brother, when you take your Bible, the devil don't run from you. He comes right beside you. And no greater sometimes he comes right beside you. Not, not when you only go in the pew and he keeps you there and he puts your mind all kind of places. And sometimes... He is even bold enough to come side of the pulpit with you and stand up there with you. People don't understand the warfare that we are in. And the word of God, yes, it is true. But you see uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, the warfare and the, what we need to put on to resist the devil, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. And then he gives us a whole set of things to put on in order to resist the devil, the shield of faith. And, and all the other things that are mentioned there. Not just having a Bible in your hand. You have to have it in your life and live a righteous life to do that. And that doesn't mean the devil can not come back. Listen, the devil attacks the most righteous person. You know, he even went to attack the Lord Jesus. But there's those who believe this is a kingdom age right now. They're so far from the truth. doesn't make sense. Some believe that the church age is the kingdom age. And so they take the church and translate it to mean that's Israel. That's wrong too. Very, very wrong. They believe that Christ is reigning spiritually through the church. And take Revelation chapter 1. It says, and Christ standeth in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, meaning the church. And that he's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, reigning. Oh, that they would read chapters 2 and 3 and see what the Lord said to those churches. Some believe that the kingdom dwells in the believer and that Christ reigns on earth through the believer. He's reigning spiritually in their lives. Now, there's some truth to that, I believe, that we need to let the Lord Jesus Christ reign in our lives and that there's part of the kingdom spiritually that we experience in this life. And we make Christ the king of our lives. And the things that the Bible talks about, the mysteries of the kingdom in our lives. Those who believe in the post-tribulation kingdom age, the physical body leaves the visible personal presence of the Lord Jesus as king of kings and Lord of lords. That he'll come after the tribulation period and he'll set up his kingdom on earth. Some of these believe that all safe people of the church age will reign with Christ during that age, as we said. Some believe that all saints of all ages will reign then. Some believe that some saints will have, have higher or greater positions in the kingdom. I actually believe that before. Nothing's wrong with that. I was taught that before. But they just thought everybody would have freedom of reign in, in the kingdom. Some believe that saints will go... In order to reign with Christ, one must meet some requirements. And that's where we are at now in our lives. 
And that's the Balkan point of most people today. They believe in the kingdom. But when you tell them the Bible says, in order to reign with Christ, there are some requirements. You point them to the book of Timothy. And you say, if he suffer with me, he shall reign. If he deny me, I will deny you. And they say, oh, that's the unbelievers he's speaking to. Because a believer can't deny Christ. Oh, okay. Peter did. And there's so many ways we deny Christ in our lives. And we don't understand the depths of how far a person who believes in Christ can go away from the Lord. So far away. And the things that they would even say. But because the Bible teaches eternal security, and praise God for that. So the requirement, if we might use that, if he suffer with me, he will reign with me. But, uh, you know, that's a general term in our life. What does it mean to suffer with Christ? Does it mean that we have to go to Muslim land and so preach the gospel so that we might die? How do we suffer? There are many ways in which we do, and we'll try to share that with you on the trials of the kingdom believer's life in one of the messages and to show you what this life is all about and how we must understand it. If we have an understanding of this life, we will better cope with these problems that we come up against and understand it as we contrast it with that which the Lord offers us, promises us in the future. For those of you who might think that we are making too much fuss about the kingdom. Let me, I'll share some verses, and I'll, um, I'll do some of that next, tomorrow night, Lord willing, um, about the verses that we find in Scripture that speaks about the kingdom of God. People don't understand how important the kingdom was to the preachers from John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, Peter, John, and all the others. And I'll show you some things if you haven't seen in the book of Acts concerning Paul and the kingdom and how much he preached about the kingdom. And that this matter of the kingdom is not a new phenomenon. The matter of people preaching about the kingdom and reigning with Christ started way back in the gospel messages, what we call the gospels. And the apostles continue that. And the amount of times I'll I'll give them to you next, um, tomorrow night, some of them, but just let me make this statement here. Some people say well, that you know, Jesus speaks about hell more than he speaks about heaven. And they use that to show how important the topic of hell is. Well, you know, the most topic that the Lord spoke about in the Bible is the kingdom of heaven. And then they say, you know, they say, well, Jesus talked about hell. Some people say 13, some say 15. Right? That Jesus mentioned hell 13 times and he only mentions heaven once. And they use John 14, I think, to show that he talked about heaven. And to show you how important hell is and urgent hell is. You know what they don't tell you? I mean, when I found this out for myself, I couldn't believe it. I'm not a great scholar by any means. But the great scholar said that, you know. That Jesus spoke about hell more than heaven. Well, I found this out, by the way, just to give you a little thought here. That when Jesus talked about hell, number one, he didn't use the word hell. 
Um, he used the word Gehenna or Hades. That's what he used, those words. And when he used them, when he used the word Gehenna and Hades, um, they, they meant two different things to him and to the people that, that heard him. Translators put all, all of them together. And then, so if you use Gehenna, let me see, I think he used Gehenna 11 times, and Hades, I think, four, four times. So he, used, he, he, he said Sheol, I saw Hades, which was equivalent in Hebrew, uh, Sheol, and then Gehenna, those times. And so he didn't use the word hell. Guess what? When you take the word now, Gehenna, he actually used it about six times. You know why? Now, it is recorded about 11 times. But of those 11 times, what, what Mark said, Matthew had already said. So it wasn't that Jesus said it in Mark, and he said it in Matthew, and he said it in Luke. He said it once, and Mark recorded it. Luke recorded it. And Matthew recorded the same statement. But they count that as every time the Lord spoke. And, he met, and so it comes down, Jesus mentioned it six times. Now, I say this to say this. If you're going to use that to show how important hell is, well, dear friend, you know the kingdom of heaven is used over six to seven times more than the word hell in the Bible. So if you're going by the number of times something is used, then, dear friend, if you're going by that principle, the kingdom of heaven far outstrips the importance and the priority of our teachings of the Bible. If you want to use that. You can check that out. There's some other things that will be, will be really interesting for you to find out about, about this. Um, I asked somebody sometime, how many times Paul preached about hell? How many times the word hell is used in Paul's writing? And he has the most books. Anybody could tell me? You know how many times? How many times that the word hell is found in Paul's writing? In the KJV, you can't find any. No. None, none. You don't find it. However, there's one place. There's one place in 1 Corinthians 15. Is it 57? Or, uh, or death bears thy sting? Or grave bears thy That's 55, 56, somewhere around there. The word Hades is used. But the translators... Translated grave. Okay. But then you compare how many times Paul spoke about the kingdom, and we'll show that tomorrow night, Lord willing. It far outstrips that. Now, friends, what takes up most of our evangelical messages today, preachers today? Not about the kingdom of heaven. You see, we are people. Who like to speak about the negative too much in our lives? Now, not that we are not to speak about the negative. When God offers us the kingdom of God, you know how great the kingdom of God is? Now, this is how I interpret it. Maybe you have a different view to this. But the Lord Jesus said, see John the Baptist? He's the greatest of men born from women in this world. And then he goes, however... The person who is least in the kingdom, by the way, you notice that, right? There are people who will be least in the kingdom. There will be people who will be greatest in the kingdom. You see that in Matthew. 
And those who are least in the kingdom will be greater than John. Oh, that used to confuse me. How is that possible? That John, who is this great prophet, the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ, the man who is uh, among women, born from many women, he's the greatest of all, them all. And then those who are least in the kingdom, greater than John. And my answer to that is this. This tells me how great the kingdom and glorious the kingdom is. That in the kingdom, the kingdom life is so great that one, when compared to this life as a prophet, as a prophet like unto John, who is the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ, and all the wonderful things about John in this age, that those, when you, when you enter into the kingdom age, things there get magnified. I mean, and so that the least person in there is greater than the life of this or on, in this present age, regardless who you are. And so that tells me of the glory and the greatness of the kingdom, that the least person is greater than John the Baptist in this age. When you compare the two ages, that's how I see it. I don't know, I know how you see it. So great is this kingdom. And so there's some wonderful things about this kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ has promised us that should motivate us and, and drive us forward. Listen to him when he said, Seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to use these messages to enlighten those who are kingdom believers that the scriptures call for them to seek the kingdom with the purpose of reigning with Christ. With that purpose. Is it wrong to want that purpose, to reign with Christ? Not at all. I know some people rebuked James and John and their mother, and they went to the Lord. They said, Lord, we want, when your kingdom come, one of us to be on your right hand, and one to be on your left hand. And the rest of the disciples started to quarrel with them. Why? You know, they wanted to be there too. That's why they started to quarrel. But Jesus, the Lord Jesus did not rebuke those two boys, you know. He didn't rebuke the mother. Actually, he looked at them and said, are you able to bear, drink the cup which I drink of? Are you able? And they said, Lord, yes, we are able. And then he said, well, you know, that is not for me to give. That's for my father to give it. And I really look at those two, young, those two men. James and John, and I admire them. God, we want, I want to be one at your right hand and your left hand. Now, the disciples thought, you know, the right hand and the left hand of God is only for one individual each. And so if James gets one and John gets one, well, Peter will have to stand behind or somewhere. Listen, there are thousands that could be at the right hand of the Lord Jesus and thousands on the left hand. And I want to be on one of the hands, dear friend. And you being there not going to stop me from being there either. And you and I must want that. We must have that desire. So seeking the kingdom of God, dear friend, is a desire to reign with Christ. Why settle for this, for less than the best? We do that too much in our lives. We need to be able to see how the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to put effort in this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I want to encourage you, encourage you, that just believing in a little kingdom does not guarantee you reigning with Christ. But you just believe in these truths. That yes, I believe 
that you must suffer to reign. Well, dear friend, you've got to live to suffer. How are you going to suffer? Paul tells us that. They that God, live godly lives shall suffer. Now, usually when we think the word suffer, we think pain in the body. We think persecution. It's a lot more than that. There's all types of suffering. Oh, but we're just not made up physically. We're made up emotionally and everything. And there are different sufferings we go through. Emotional, physical. Uh, we go through uh, the psychological and the mental and all different types of sufferings that there is in this life. Not just physical. What does seeking the kingdom involve? Who is a kingdom seeker as opposed to just a kingdom believer? Number one, we don't have time to go into all of this, but number one, to recognize the authority. Number one. Number two, they recognize the rules of the kingdom, the rules of God. And then they recognize the sovereignty of God. Wrapped up in this thought, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness, how do we God has rules of righteousness that we must follow. We must seek that. The word seek there, as we pointed out sometime in the last year and other people have, has to do with making a strenuous effort. Doing something about it. Making an effort to be able to accomplish. Seek it first. Priority. That's the first thing you must have in your life. That should be the top of the list of all things. Now, that verse is put in context just before that about the things of life, the material things of life that all of us like. Clothes and houses and this and that and food and everything else. That's what we spend most of our time getting, don't we? I mean, let's take off our jobs. Why do we go to work? To go to get to get into the kingdom? No. We go to work, get up early in the morning, go to work. Because we need to buy clothes. Because we need to buy food. Because we need to pay bills. We don't say, well, I'm going to work for the kingdom. It would be good if we had that attitude. But we spend most of our hours working for the physical, the material part of life. By the way, if you seek first the kingdom of God, that turns it around. And your working eight hours becomes part of you seeking the kingdom. That all of your life becomes part of you seeking the kingdom. Your social life, uh, your hobbies, um, everything about you. Your romantic life, your, your domestic life, all of that becomes part of your life seeking for the kingdom. And that's the place you and I need to come to. The total life. Putting our life under the authority of God. And that God is sovereign in his authority. And then that when I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto me, that God in his sovereignty will supply my needs when he knows it's best to do that. And so I won't have to struggle with, God, I wonder. I don't have to be in turmoil about how this is going to be paid for. Who's going to take care of this? What's going to happen to me when I get old? Uh, what, you know, do I have to... Set up things, you know, in order. When I get old, somebody take care of me. Now, I know all of those things. You must be good stewards with that. However, to come under the rule of God brings a different perspective altogether. When I seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And so uh, the time has come for me to stop here. And to develop this further. To show you that really in, in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, okay, that in Matthew chapter 5, you will see God tells us, he starts with the beatitude. That's our attitude towards life. How we respond in our attitude towards life. And then he tells us how we must be able uh, to take things that come upon us and to be able to deal with the world, the things of this world, verses 13 to 16. How to deliberately live a righteous life before the world, that our good works, they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And by, he then goes on and tells us, um, in seeking the kingdom, you have to resist the things of this flesh and live a righteous moral life. He deals with adultery and fornication and so on. And then in uh, verses 38 to 44, uh, just turn quickly there with me. And, and, and to me, uh, this is so important in kingdom living. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 44. And this deals with us, with, with people, with people. Because in this life, we meet people. We have friends, we have family, we have enemies. They're people, they're our neighbors. And that's the people, uh, that's what our life is connected to. And say, the Lord says, this is how you have to deal with people. You're a kingdom seeker. Then this is what you do with people. And then we'll show you in conclusion what he tells us. In verse 38, he said, uh, let me, I'm sorry. Uh, let me get here my, my, my bearings correctly. Uh, I want you to be like your father. He tells me, I'm, all right, yeah. In verse, let me start from verse 38. You ever heard that it been said an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth? This is radical living, all right? This is, that's not normal. This is radical living, and that's what the Lord deals with. He wants us to live above the normal life. And that's what a kingdom to be. I mean, uh, you've heard that an eye for an eye, that's what they said before, but I say unto you, he resists not evil. Wow. Most of us retaliate. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And that takes in a lot more than just turning the face. We don't have time to develop that. I think you know, understand the truth of that. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. That's not normal. So for some people, that's foolish. Jesus says that's kingdom living. He goes on. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go two with him. We go a mile with a person and we feel we've done our duty. And we leave them there to walk the other mile. Jesus says, go the, go the extra mile with him, with a person. And that's, by the way, dealing. Don't take all that just literally, all right, all the time. I mean, it's true literally, but there are some people that we deal with and we go a mile with them, we give them a break, and then we need to learn to go another mile with them, give them another break, and to deal with them, to give in, and not to retaliate. Learn to do that. And then he says, Give to him that asketh thee, and for him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. That don't make sense, does it? Not in this life. People think you're ready for the mental institution. 
You've heard that has been said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And hate thine enemy. But I say unto you. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And when we say pray for them. We don't, say, we don't mean pray. pray. God sent, some, sent something from heaven and, and killed them. No. No, not that type of prayer. I have a pastor friend of mine. That's how he deals. And he tells me this. He said, well, I've had some people in the church. I've prayed and asked God to kill them. And he uses that word. And he actually tells me he believes God has done that. And I don't know. But you know, what if he understood kingdom truths? A person in your church giving trouble, you want them to see and understand. You don't want them dead. You want them alive so they can make their life right with God. He says, pray for them. And this prayer has to do with the burden prayer. God, please help them. Open their eyes. Notice the reason why. Verse 45. You do all of this way, that ye may be the children of the Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans or the unsafe do that? What's the big thing? If you love me, that love you. That's not too hard to love a person that loves you. It's not too hard to give somebody something that gives to you. But somebody that don't like you and you learn to give with them. Wow, you're living life on a higher plane. You're not living a normal life. You've made a step above. You're living like God living. That's what he says, that he might be as be the children of your father, which is in heaven. You're living like God would live. How does God do that? God loved us while we were yet sinners. And that's what God wants us to do, to love people while they're like that. Not when they're nice and clean and everything else. He goes on and say this in verse 47. For if he salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do the same? 48. Be, and here's a challenge now. Be ye therefore perfect. Mature, full-grown man. The child, the firstborn child, the firstborn son that was mentioned earlier. Okay. The teleos, uh, the yours. Be, be therefore perfect. Well, this teleos. Even as, how? Even as your Father, which is in heaven. So this kingdom living where the Lord Jesus gives us what? To challenge us. If you say you're a kingdom believer, live a kingdom believer's life. Seek the kingdom and be like your Father, which is in heaven. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. Oh, to be like thee. Come into my heart. Stamp thine own image right on my heart. That must be your prayer, my prayer. Kingdom believer, you must be a kingdom seeker. And to be a kingdom seeker, you just don't sit there. You must want to be like your Father, which is in heaven. May God open our hearts, our eyes, and give us that desire in the word seek. This word seek is equal to what the psalmist said. As a heart panteth after the water brook, 
So panteth my soul after thee, O Lord. That's what it means by seeking. A passion, a longing, oh, to be like thee. Father, take these words and use it in the hearts of our hearers to bring to pass in our lives that we might be kingdom seekers, not just kingdom believers, and that we would do something about that until the day we stand before thee and we hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Blessed be thy name, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you all.